0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome, especially today, to you kids. Uh, Thanks for visiting us in the uh, service this morning. You know, I had a bad experience at a pizza place once when I was in ninth grade. Uh, I was there with a friend of mine having lunch, and we were sitting across from each other at a table when he got this really, really strange, curious, uh, serious look on his face and he leaned across the table as close as he could get to me, real, real, real in like this. And, and he said, hey, he said, come here. He said, I need to tell you something. And then he kind of looked back and, and forth to see if anybody was looking. And, and he said, it's really important. And so, of course, I, I leaned in, and I was almost face-to-face with him. And you know what he said? Nothing. But you know what he did? He sneezed in my face right in my face on purpose. And I kind of can laugh about it now, but I was not laughing then. I, I remember I got up and I went into the bathroom at the restaurant and I splattered water all over my face. And I was kind of stunned by this and, and grossed out. And I thought, if if my friend would do something like this to me, I I, I can't even hardly believe that. And I got back to the table and he apologized for it, but, but the apology to me really fell flat. It was weak, and I remember leaving the restaurant and feeling, building within me, this anger. And the more that I thought about it, the more that it built, it was like a fire that kept growing and growing and growing inside of me. And I want to start this morning by asking you, have you ever had an experience like that before? And the answer is, of course you have. I'm sure that you have. I'm sure that there have been people in your life too that have made you feel hurt and upset and angry. And this morning, I want to talk about the question, what are we supposed to do about that? There's another guy who experienced the same thing, apparently, at one time. One of Jesus' disciples, his name was Peter, and in this passage, he asks a question that I actually really appreciate when it comes to the topic of forgiveness. We're going to get there in a minute, but but this morning, I I want to think a little bit about how are we supposed to handle that when someone hurts us? How are we supposed to forgive? Now, uh, there is so much that the Bible says about forgiving other people, and uh, we could talk about this for several weeks. The more serious the offense is that someone commits against you, the more difficult it becomes to forgive them, the more you have to work through and, and talk it through. But today, what I want to do is I want to just focus on kind of those everyday wounds that someone uh, leaves us with, those feelings of, of anger and hurt. And, and I want to start by saying that on our own, There's kind of two pathways that we tend to move in when someone hurts us. Uh, Different ones of us will will use one or the other. But the first is something that I want to call fighting. When someone hurts you, your first reaction might be to fight back. And second of all, the other pathway is you might flee. You might want to get away from them. And then what I want to do finally is I want to talk about this third pathway and that pathway, of course, is forgiving someone. So Let's think about this idea of fighting first. For some of us, our natural response when somebody offends us is to want to fight. When we get hurt, we go on the offense. We fight back. We want to hurt them in the same way that they have hurt us. We feel within us, like I did that day, this kind of burning anger, and it does not feel good. We want to get rid of it. And we think to ourselves, why should I be the one to feel so bad inside? They're the one who hurt me. They're the one that should be feeling the way that I do. And then we get this idea, we think, if I can just somehow take this angry fire that is inside of me, these painful feelings that I'm experiencing, and channel those flames back out at them through some kind of revenge gossip or harming them in some way, then somehow what will happen is justice will be served, this person will pay for what they've done, and that fire that is inside of me will be transferred to them so that now I'll feel better because they feel worse. Now, for some of us who are prone to fight back, we we fight back immediately, right? It's like we we get hit and as soon as we do, we want to punch back instead. It's almost an instinct. But others of us, it's kind of a delayed reaction. Maybe we go home that night and we lay on our beds and we just rewind again and again what they've done to us and we begin to think about, Ways that we could have said something to them or done something that would have showed them who was right and who was wrong. We begin to think about how we can then continue to do those kinds of things in our, our life moving forward to hurt them as they've hurt us. But the name of the game for a person who's a fighter, of course, is revenge. Now there is this really, really vivid image and picture that the Bible gives us about that instinct. And I wanna share it with you this morning. I'll put it on the screen. It's found in the book of Galatians chapter five, 14 and 15. And, And try to get this image in your head. Paul writes, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not, consumed by one another. And the image here that I think is supposed to be conjured up in our minds is of two ferocious animals who are battling against one another, and each of them is biting and clawing and trying to gobble up the other one. But in the end, what happens is they both end up eating each other, and everyone Loses, and Paul says, "When you bite and devour one another, be careful because in that case, everyone gets consumed when when you or I get hurt by somebody else, when we feel within us that sense of pain and anger and, and even rage, as much as it seems like pouring fire back into that other person will we'll make it all go away for you, will resolve the problem." This passage tells us something so helpful and that is that it won't work. That the fire won't die. It will just spread to someone else too. And any good fireman will tell you that as soon as a fire begins to spread, it does something else too. It intensifies. It becomes an an inferno, a fire that grows more and more out of control. And so, When other people hurt us, even though for some of us, fighting back seems like the right thing to do. In fact, at times, it seems like it's the only choice that we have. The the wisdom of the Bible tells us that not only is that not a helpful pathway, but it's actually a harmful one. It does more harm than good. And yet this first pathway that many of us are prone to take is to fight back. Well, there's another one that uh, we will often use to deal with problems when when we've been hurt by other people. And it's really the opposite of this one. Uh, For some of us, our natural reaction is not to fight at all when we've been wounded. It's exactly the opposite. When, When we're hurt, our instinct is to flee, to get out of there as quick as we can. So we don't lash out so much as we draw in. And instead of going on offense against another person, we take kind of a defensive stance. And there's all kinds of different ways that people do this. In fact, there's a man whose name is Ken Sandy who wrote a book that I really want to recommend today if if anything that I'm saying resonates uh, with you. He wrote a book called Resolving Everyday Conflicts. It's a a very uh, short, easy-to-read book. And in it, he describes this uh, response of fleeing, and he calls it an escape response. Uh, This is when, instead of trying to resolve and deal with a problem that we have with somebody else in a conflict, what we do instead is everything we can do to avoid it. And one way to do this is just to deny that there's a problem at all. We just pretend that the problem didn't exist. The, the friend didn't sneeze on me over lunch. It, it didn't happen. We'll just sort of move past it. I'll, I'll glaze over that issue and, and kind of make as if it was no big deal, that it, it didn't really hurt me, and that I wasn't embarrassed when it happened, that it didn't cause any harm, and that everything between me and that other person is good because I'm not going to worry about it. But what Ken Sandy says is, he says, in order to do that, you must be one thing. And that is a really good actor, right? What you've got to be able to do is you've got to be able to sort of plaster on a smile, pretend everything's okay, and just move along until nobody notices anymore. And then hopefully people will be fooled. And if you can do a good enough job at that, Maybe you can even fool yourself, too. Just pretend that everything is normal and good and healthy and keep moving. But if that stops working, if eventually you get to the place where you can't keep up the charade anymore, then what you can do is you can take this pathway even one step further. Instead of just denying the problem exists, you can run away as far and as fast as you can from the other person. Uh, this is when we just decide to cut off the person who's, who's hurt us. We decide just not to speak to or, or have anything to do with them again. We, we quit our job to get away from the co-worker who has been gossiping against us rather than confront them. We change schools or churches or we just stop attending family functions that are uncomfortable. And what we think can happen is that if we can just put enough distance between ourselves and our offender, then eventually the problem will kind of resolve itself internally for us on its own, and so we run. Now, I I do want to say something really important about this pathway, and, and that is that sometimes this pathway is the right one to walk down, at least at first. Sometimes when somebody hurts us, the, the thing that we really do need is some distance and perspective. And forgiveness can, can sometimes be a lengthy, difficult process where we even need other people to help us work it through. And there are some circumstances, including where crimes have been committed, where breaking away from a person is, is necessary and right and healthy. But in these everyday conflicts, long-term, running is almost never the answer. And the reason is because running never resolves anything. And when unresolved wounds like the loose ends of a rope just get swept underneath the rugs of our lives, eventually what starts to happen is knots begin to form, problems begin to move up from underneath the rugs. I think, again, the Bible gives us some very colorful, very helpful language in how to think about this. It gives us an image. I want to share it with you. It's in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. And it says this. It says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. And so the the image here that the Apostle Paul gives is that if a conflict is not resolved, if that hurt and pain is never addressed in yourself or ever addressed for that person who has caused it, if the grace of God is not experienced in some way, then what can happen, he says, is that a little seed can get planted. And it's a little seed called bitterness. And that seed, if it's not somehow removed from the soil of our hearts, will grow into a root. That root will gain more and more traction and over time spring up into a weed and continue to grow from there. And it will impact us the way that all weeds do. It will sap and steal and leach so much that is good in our lives. I'm sure we could all share about times where someone has hurt us and and, and we've come to the point in our pain, in our hurt, in our anger towards them where where we we feel this is destroying me. This is destroying my ability to experience so much good in my life because all I can think about is that. And, And what's happening is that that bitterness is slowly releasing its toxins into your life of resentment and hard feelings, and discontent. And just like the fire over here, over time, what that weed of bitterness will do in your life is spread and intensify. It will slowly infiltrate your heart and your life until over time, you don't even remember what it was like to live without it anymore. And so these two pathways Fighting and, and fleeing that are so natural for us and that each one of us tends to kind of head in one direction or the other to, to handle conflict are, are not just unhelpful. It's not that they just don't resolve whatever the conflict is. It's that they are truly, genuinely very harmful, not only to the one who has offended us, but ultimately to ourselves as well and to everyone else who ends up getting trapped in the fire or experiencing the fruit of the weed of bitterness along the way. Which is why it's so helpful that God shares with us a different kind of pathway and and that, of course, is the avenue of forgiveness. Now, there's something very, very powerful about biblical forgiveness. Uh, Something that does one thing for us that is critical to the whole process. And that is that biblical forgiveness changes a person's focus. It changes a person's focus. You see, fighting and fleeing tend to put the emphasis in one of two different places. Okay? When, when I fight back against somebody, My emphasis, my thoughts, my focus is almost always on them. And what I'm thinking about is, how do I make them feel bad the way that they've made me feel bad so they'll understand all the wrong that they have done? You'll hear those words, they, them, again and again. My focus in fighting is on them. Now, when I flee a problem, my focus is in a different place then. My focus is on me. And I'm saying to myself, how do I avoid the feelings that I've been experiencing and protect myself in life from ever experiencing them again? How do I get away? How do I hide from that? How do I keep this impact from hurting me? The emphasis is on them or the emphasis is on me. But biblical forgiveness puts the emphasis in a very different place. And that is... It puts the emphasis on God. It puts the focus. It, it puts the direction that my heart and mind are supposed to go on the things that God says and on the things that God has done. But let's think about what forgiveness is for just a few minutes. What does it mean to forgive someone? And again, you could say so much about this, but the meaning of the word forgiveness in the New Testament is to send off or to send away. You, you might think of a, of a cruise ship you know, that's leading, leaving port, and the people on the, on the dock are, are, are waving bon voyage right, as it, as it moves off. Uh, forgiveness looks like taking uh, some kind of wrong that has been committed against you, and it means that what you do in the same way is you, you send it off. And you're not just sending it off away from your offender, although you are doing that as well, but you're sending it away from yourself too. Now, I want to be really clear about something. Forgiveness does not ever mean that we make excuses for the person who's offended us. And it does not ever mean that we pretend that something bad or harmful or hurtful didn't happen or that it doesn't matter. We do not in any way shortchange the pain or the damage that a person's actions have caused. We are clear that a person's behavior is unacceptable and wrong. And it also doesn't mean that the person who's offended us should not face consequences. We can forgive someone completely and yet perhaps there's a change in that friendship that needs to occur as a result of what they've done. People can forgive a person, and yet it's still right that that person be sent to jail. So what is forgiveness? Well, my favorite uh, definition of forgiveness, again, comes from the man who wrote this book, Ken Sandy. His uh, definition is this. He says, forgiveness is a radical decision not to hold an offense against an offender. Forgiveness." is a radical decision not to hold an offense against an offender. Forgiveness, the Bible teaches, is deciding to let go. It is releasing within yourself wrath or vengeance or bitterness towards another person. And and sometimes this shows up within us as an emotion that we might feel towards a person But other times, it's not an emotion at all. It's a a decision that we make from the will. It's a choice that we make that says, I am going to send this wrong that has been committed against me by you away. And I am no longer going to hold it against you. That's what biblical forgiveness is. One of the great men in the history of our church was our first missionary, at least one of them, named Donovan Jock. And he passed away a few years ago. His, his family attends here even today. And he, he said something about forgiveness years and years ago. And I liked it so much that I wrote it down. He, he was talking to teenagers about how they ought to live their life. And he was giving them some principles of just ways that they ought to think and, and, and move into relationships. And, and here's what he said about forgiveness. He said, decide to forgive people. And don't make them deserve it. In your life, just decide to forgive people and and don't qualify it with the fact that they've got to deserve it. And that's exactly what biblical forgiveness is. It is letting go even when the other person is not worthy of it at all. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, I think that the disciple Peter had some concept about what real forgiveness was and and what it meant and how deep and and difficult this radical way of treating those who uh, offend us ought to be handled. And and yet he came to Jesus with, I, I think, just a very good, very helpful, very practical question about forgiveness. So let's go back to our passage this morning. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21. It says, Then Peter came up to Jesus and said to him, Lord, How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Okay, so what's what's going on here? Well, what Peter is asking Jesus is he's asking them what degree is necessary for us to extend forgiveness to another person. When somebody wrongs me, Peter's saying, when, when they hurt me or betray me or stab me in the back, I know that I'm supposed to forgive them. But, he says, how much is enough, right? He says, in fact, what if I were to forgive them seven times? Would that be enough? Can I stop there, Jesus? Now, one thing that's really important and helpful to know about this is that in Judaism, in which, which Peter had, had grown up in, It was considered proper to forgive a person three times, okay? It was a culture where it was sort of like three strikes and you're out. If you forgive a person three times and they offend you again, then you are off the hook. You have done your best and you didn't have to forgive them after that. You could decide at that point, fair enough, do you want to fight them, right? Do you want to get, get revenge, do everything that you can to make them pay for what they've done, or you can use this pathway over here. It's fair game to do that. You can just get away, kind of go in defensive mode, cut them off, give them the silent treatment, do whatever you want to do if you give them three opportunities. And so what Peter probably thought here is that he was being awfully honorable and generous in suggesting seven times, Right. He probably thought that uh, Jesus would kind of pat him on the head and say, wow, seven times, Peter? That's impressive. That's more than twice the amount that is expected. But but you know what you you sort of pick up from the passage is that Jesus is not very impressed, right? It's almost like he sort of chuckles back his answer at Peter and he says, no, 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 Peter, Peter, you don't understand here. That, that isn't how it works in my kingdom. He, he says, I don't think seven times is nearly close to enough. He says, maybe 77 times would be more like it. Now, what Jesus is not saying here is that now we count to 77 times instead of seven, right? What, what he's saying here is that we should be the kind of people who forgive and who just keep on forgiving that we ought to be the kind of people who, even though, yeah, we're tempted to fight, or, yeah, we're tempted to flee, that instead we would seek to forgive another person with no limits and no restrictions. And this is incredibly hard for us to do. These are not easy words at all. Often, it is so hard for us to forgive a person just once, right? Much less 77 times or more. Can you imagine? I'm mean, Just think of a person who hurt you. What, what if they did it 77 times? Jesus Jesus is saying, I, we forgive them then? I mean, sometimes we meet and, and interact with people at school or at home or at work that just rub us the wrong way constantly. It's like we have to prepare ourselves to even be in their presence. And Jesus would ask us to just keep giving them, to not hold those things against them again and again and again? Yeah, that is what he's saying. That's hard. I mean, sometimes there's one person in our life who has really hurt us bad and and harmed us in a way that, that feels terrible and and we read the Bible, we know we ought to forgive them. And we've been wrestling with that for weeks and weeks. And finally, we're able to forgive that person from the heart. We feel like we finally sent that offense away. Then we wake up the next morning and we feel angry again. We think, I've done all that work to forgive that person. And I felt it yesterday, but I'm not feeling it today. Is Jesus really saying that we should re-wrestle with our hearts all over again to re-forgive them? And that we should do that, if necessary, 77 times or more? Yeah, that is what Jesus is saying. And those are very, very hard words. You see, what Jesus is talking about is something much Deeper than we often think. It's about not just being the kind of person that counts and forgives and counts and forgives, but it's about cultivating within ourselves a a sort of forgiving spirit that, that by its very nature desires to pour out mercy and forgiveness and grace on other people, even when and especially when they don't deserve it. And so the question becomes, how do I become a person like that? How do I become a person where when somebody punches me, grace somehow leaks out? I neither flee nor fight. Well, the Bible tells us that we become that kind of person basically in many ways by doing one thing. And that is remembering. We become that kind of person by by remembering something very important. And that is this we remember that God never asks us to do something for someone else that he already hasn't done himself for us. God will never ask you to do something for someone else that he has not already done for you. Now, I just want to take a couple more minutes to show you what I mean by that. And I want to look at one last passage. This is... Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Listen to these words. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is the essence of becoming a a forgiving person right here. What, What the Apostle Paul is saying here in a nutshell is that we are to forgive for one reason. And that is because we have been forgiven. You know, when a person trusts in Christ, when when they receive God's grace through the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, God does something that is absolutely tremendous. That I think we're we're quick to forgive or for, to forget, not to forgive, to forget. And, and that is that when we trust Christ, God forgives. All of our sin. Okay, the Bible teaches that he doesn't just forgive the sins that we've already done in our past, but that he even forgives ways that we might be sinning without even realizing it in the present, and that he forgives every single wrong we'll ever commit in the future. All of it is forgiven in a moment. When we trust Christ, his forgiveness is like this one-time event that we get to enjoy and live in the rest of his life, the rest of our lives. And I think that what happens for most of us is, at first, we're impacted by that in the sense of all the really bad stuff that we've done. That, that stuff that we bring in that we think, oh man, God could never forget that, forgive that, right? The, the stuff that's uh, embarrassing to us that we would never want shared with other people. And, and you know what? It's true. He really does forgive that stuff. He really does wash away even your deepest, darkest moments in life. You are free from that when, when you trust Him, from, from all of the worst of it. But I, I think for me, the older that I get, the less I appreciate all of those great big things that God has forgiven me from, even though I do still appreciate those. But the more I appreciate All the seemingly little stuff that sometimes I don't even notice that he forgives me of too. All those little everyday ways that I fall short. And and if I sit down with a piece of paper, I can make a list of those things so easily. I mean, I have no trouble every day reviewing in, in my mind thoughts that I've had that I know I shouldn't have. Unkind judgments that I've made against other people. Ways that I can be rude or unthoughtful. I mean, I'm beginning to see more how prideful I can be and and self-righteous and sometimes arrogant and ways that I can be cold and uncaring towards other people that I love most in my life and certainly towards God. I mean, there are opportunities that I have to do good every single day that I squander There are bad attitudes that I live in much longer than I should. And there are certainly many ways in my life that I do not put God first as I ought to so what I'm saying is, the older I get, the more aware I'm becoming, not only of the depth of my sin, how deep it runs, but also the, the width of my sin. I mean, sometimes just thinking about it boggles my mind. How many faults over my entire lifespan, past, present, and future, has God forgiven? And you know what the truth is? I could never begin to count them. I could never even start I do know one thing, though, and that is I am so glad that God does not limit his forgiveness to three things or seven things or 77 things. I would blow through that in less than a week. There's days I'd blow through that in less than a day. But what God has done for me again and again and again and what he will do for me all of my life again and again and again is he will make a radical decision not to hold my sin against me because what he did so long ago is he sent all of my sin away from me and away from him and he sent it to Jesus but Jesus He did not send my sin away. Jesus took my sin upon himself. He gave up his life to pay for every single ounce of it. And what that means for me is that when God looks at me, instead of seeing and pointing out my sin, he sees someone who is clean, pure, righteous in his sight, someone who is free, someone who God does not hold my wrongs and my mistakes against. Now think about this for just a second. Think about how hard it is for you and me to forgive other people just once, right? How angry we can get when when they make even sometimes the slightest uh, offense against us, how those fires rage within our hearts. And yet when we look at our own hearts and when we look at all the ways that we have failed as people to think that God doesn't hold all of that against us, it is truly tremendous. What this passage says is that if you want to be kind and tenderhearted, a forgiving person, then what you need to know and experience is God's forgiveness for you. And it is out of that great river of grace and mercy and kindness and forgiveness that God pours into us the strength and the courage and the humility, all of which we will need so badly to forgive other people. Even one time, but three times too, and 77 times, and until we can no longer count I think the the hope from this passage, and and I think the hope for all of us, is that you and I daily would experience the bottomless grace of God that Christ has won for us. That grace and forgiveness of God that that pours out of his heart, I hope, into your heart. And in, in which God desires that you would pour it out into the hearts of other people people just like you and me, people who don't deserve forgiveness. Let's pray that God would help that to be true in all of us. Father, when we think about how petty we can be and and how we can allow just the smallest things that hurt us to get underneath our skin, it amazes us that you can be quite so patient and long-suffering with us as, as you are. We thank you for that. We thank you for the tenderness and kindness of, of your heart. We thank you that your desire is not to hold our wrongs against us, but to send them away. And we thank you that you sent Jesus so that it might be so for anyone who would believe. We pray, Father, that you would Help us to so understand that and rejoice in that and rest in that, that that it would change us. Help that to soften places inside of us that are hard. Help us that to begin to extinguish those fires of anger and rage and to begin to pull up some of those roots of bitterness that many of us find choke the life right out of us. We thank you that you will never tell us to do something that you have not done for us. So we can trust you in that. We can believe you because you've proved it. And we pray that you would help us to do that today. In Jesus' name.